0: Father, thank you that uh, you can and do use a broken vessel like me to bring your message to your people and those standing in front of me today, but before you are people that you can also use. And the Lord, some uh, enter today and they are here and they're present and they're ready to receive and their hearts are warm and open to what you have. And for others, uh, there's probably some folks who are distant and cold and riddled with doubt and unsure life is beating them up a little bit or there's just big questions that they can't get past. And God, I pray that you would minister to both. I pray that you minister to all today and that we would leave a different, Lord, that every life would be blessed because they came and everyone that's willing to do so would be different because they were here today. So speak to us. God, I, I lay hold of Hebrews 4.12 that every word of God is living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And so, Lord, let it have its work. Let it have its way among your people today. This we pray in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we began, uh, boy, when the music stopped, it's just abrupt, isn't it? Like, yeah. I'm thinking about after going to Jackson State games, I'm thinking about some walkout music coming up, okay? I'm just going to say, play my theme song and come out to it, okay? We've got to get, get a theme song. But, uh... We're in a a series called Legacy and it's real simple in the four weeks of last part of October in these first three weeks of November before we began Advent leading up to Christmas we're looking at four lives from the Bible and just we're learning about them and uh, some of you are being reminded about them and then we're just asking what can we learn from them what is their legacy we looked at last week we looked at Solomon. Solomon gave us several books of the Bible. Some of the wisdom literature. You know, he wrote uh, Proverbs and Song of Solomon. you, yeah, you, yeah, And wrote Ecclesiastes. I heard someone say this week. I read this. It's very profound. Uh, said that apologetics in 2002 was like five reasons to believe in God, and apologetics in 2022 is read Ecclesiastes. But I, I love it. I appreciate it. It seems uh, terribly cynical, but also it just speaks to the depth of heart of our hearts when the conventional wisdom of Proverbs falls apart. Uh, Ecclesiastes is there to speak deeply uh, t- uh, to us and so uh, several of you have written to me this week because Solomon is an interesting life when you start talking about all the wives and concubines and the way that he pursued life and, and uh, so we had a men's group on Friday morning and it was pretty cool to lay laid out some bullet points on, uh, on Solomon's life some clarifiers from the sermon on Sunday if anybody's interested in that I could, uh, I'll put it on my Instagram this week, and you can email me about that. But today we're going to look at Adam, and I asked you last week, have you ever heard a sermon uh, on Adam? Here's what I'd like you to do if you're a note taker, and if you're not, just pretend that you are, make me feel better. Uh, on the top uh, left side of your page, write the word design, and on the top um, right side of your page, I say that right, write the word default. So write design and default, then put Adam, put legacy in the, in the center of that. Let me begin. Uh, as you do that, as you write Adam legacy design default, let me begin with a few uh, questions. Okay, has this ever happened uh, to any of you? You uh, you never keep track of your finances. You don't have a budget or savings. You never pay off your credit cards. Uh, you wake up one day and you're a millionaire. You uh, you you don't eat right you never exercise, Uh, no one can ever witness your fitness because you don't have any fitness. You spend uh, most nights in a lazy boy watching television or some sedentary type of uh, activity and um, you wake up one day and you're able to run a full marathon. Or you never bathe, you never brush your teeth, you never deodorize. You don't floss. And trust me, if you don't bathe, brush your teeth, or deodorize, you don't floss. Uh, you, you, you don't wash your clothes, but you show, up, uh, you show up to the church's single small group, and someone the, the most attractive person in the room says, hey, come sit with me. Have any of those scenarios ever happened to anybody? I'm going to venture a guess and say no. No, they don't happen because it's the difference between design, a life that is designed, and a life of default. Today, we're going to look at the first design of creation the first uh, person that uh, that God made and we're going to try to learn from from him now what is a life of design what does it mean a life of design is a life that says there's a greater purpose uh, than myself and I pursue it with zeal I examine my life on the regular and I live a life of strong determination That's a life of design, a purpose greater than myself. I pursue that with zeal. I examine my life on the regular and I live with a strong determination. A great example of a life, the classic example is Jesus the good doctor Luke the physician in the second chapter I don't have this on the screen but in Luke 42 it starts an account where Jesus is with his family he's only 12 years old so we get a life uh, we get to look at the life of Jesus early and Jesus is with his family at the feast of Passovers in Jerusalem and it says that he's sitting there in the temple square with religious leaders and over scholars really uh, smart people and his family loses sight of him it's sort of Kevin home alone kind of the first version of that and his parents go on it's a day or so on their journey that they realize they've they've left him they've left Jesus and when they go back they find him sitting in the temple and he's talking to the smart people and it says that they're astonished by his understanding and his answers but the parents were not astonished Jesus's mom in particular y'all know their mom was right she uh, she was mad at Jesus she was miffed she scolded him because Jesus had been MIA and uh, Jesus tells her, it doesn't seem like a good thing to do in, for family values, but Jesus is like, hey, mama, dad, I got to be about my father's work. And look what it says. This to me is the classic example. I've got the clicker, I believe. Uh, Luke 9, 51, it says this. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, there's a lot that's going to be done between now and then, and Jesus knew that. But I love this phrase, he resolutely Not by default, he was living by design. He had a purpose greater than himself. He pursued it with zeal. He examined his life uh, on the regular. He had a strong determination. Some English translations say that Jesus set his eyes uh, on Jerusalem. His eyes, his gaze was fixed. Here's the the Greek word for that. It's sterizo, and this uh, means... Uh, just a resoluteness. It means I'm not going to be taken down from here. I am going to stay at it, and Jesus was the classic example of living life by design. God, we see in Adam, is the ultimate designer, and Jesus is this classic example. Now, living a life by default is really the opposite of that. The, a life by default, it's the wide road that Jesus would preach about in Matthew 7. It's the easy path. Some parents and teachers and coaches and administrators, uh, adults, would look down at kids and uh, challenge them that, that they're taking the path of least resistance. It's Again, it's the, it's the easy way. And people who live by default, when things go wrong, when you're stressed or tired or you're, in a, a, you know, you're broke or you're in a bad marriage... You never really take the time or never really have the energy to do something about it. This is just simply a life by default. Hebrews 2.1, I don't have it up there, but Hebrews 2.1 is a classic example of this. It says, take earnest heed or to be very careful lest you drift in life. And d- people who live by default, they, they just drift. And so it's, it's pretty simple, but I want to say this. It, it goes like this. If, if you don't choose joy by design, you will live with resentment by default. If you don't choose gratitude by design, you will lose. You will live with ingratitude by design. If you don't choose community by design, you will live with isolation by default. There's a choice in front of us. So how are we going to live? And let me stop and ask you now: Do you live by design or do you live uh, by default? So we're going to look here this morning at a four. Let's let's let me get here. Four core dimensions of Adam's life. Now, Adam is a word that means ground or dirt. Eve is a word that means breath or living or life. And we all know it, but we'll look in a minute when the, Adam's the original Joe Dirt. So just picture David Spade in that movie with a the, with the mullet. So Adam means dirt, or it's the prototype of life or humanity. It means dirt or ground. Eve means uh, breath, life, or living. Mr. Joe Dirt would meet mrs breath or mrs life soon but four core dimensions and the first one i've already given it to you in the heading it's uh it's body life uh, we know that that adam uh, came from the dust and god breathed life into him what's the first words of the best-selling book of all time people uh even atheists know this one uh it says in genesis 1:1, in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth now there's a hebrew word and it's used 50 times in the back of the book in the first part of the bible it's the word bara it's 50 times in god it means in hebrew it means to shape to fashion or to create 50 times it's used in the hebrew bible and in the old testament and 50 times god is always the subject there's something there right that you you and i and i think sunday morning this is one of the reasons i come to church i'm paid to come to church that's that's a reason. But I come to church, and when we began to sing, and don't Lauren and the team do a great job? And we began to sing, and I'm just like, man, I, I'm the created one. I am not the creator. And all my, not all, but many times, my anxieties and problems and vexations and cares and hopes and ambitions and all this just begins to melt when I'm with God's people in God's house, just thinking that I am the created one. He's the creator. He's the one. Uh, 50 times, this Hebrew word is used, and 50 times. God is the subject, and the one we're looking at today, Adam, is the object, one of many objects in God's unfolding uh, creation. God creates, and some of you know this, uh, this beautiful passage. Again, you don't even have to be be a person of faith uh, to know what the psalmist would later say as God uh, shaped, fashioned, and formed him. In fact, he says it starts pretty early. For you created me, my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. He says. The psalmist says. Life. God is aware of us. And he shapes us and he fashions us. Your life began as a single. Fertilized cell. And at the just the right time. Inside your mother's womb. 60,000 miles. Of capillaries and blood vessels. Were formed. And at the point that a newborn enters into this world, the septum in between the two ventricles of the heart, it, it comes together, it closes so that you get oxygenated blood when you're born. You have some 30 uh, trillion cells in your body. You have some 39 trillion bacteria cells in your body. How does your immune system know to attack The bacteria and to leave the cells along the cellular structure structure that you need for your growth and your maturity. How does the body know? I think David, I think the psalmist in 139 was on to it, and so was a Nobel Prize winning mathematician who put it this way The complexity of the mathematical models. I look at this and I marvel. Uh, How did these instruction sets not make mistakes as they build what is in us? It's mystery. It's magic. It's divinity. He got it right the third time. It's kind of, I was studying that this week and I was like, it's Superman. No, it's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Superman. It's magic. It's mystery. No, it's divinity. It's divinity. There is a creator and it's astonishing. By the way, notice what this Nobel Prize winning mathematician says. I marvel. When's the last time you've marveled? I didn't ask when's the last time you worried. When's the last time you were afraid? When's the last time you gossiped? When's the last time you were busy? When's the last time you marveled? When is the last time you marveled at the fact that you are a created being and that you have a creator and that really, really smart people study this, this uh, body that we have and say, wow, there's something here. It's magic. It's mystery. Y'all, it's divinity. Adam, the legacy of Adam is that we have a God who created from dirt. ex Ex-nelio, he brought something out of nothing and this is the God that we have not only is our God a creator and he's given you a body we learn in Adam that we have a body life you have a body life and you and I are are taught in scripture and we see this in the life of Adam and Eve that we're to care for our bodies when God created, you know, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everybody knows that. Anybody know verse two? If you don't have your Bibles open to Genesis, it says the, that the world was darkless, dark, I'm sorry, it was, it was formless, it was void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. That's a green light for you and I to fear God. Does that scare anybody? The, the Spirit of God hovered. I, I was a little boy having the Bible read to me, and that kind of scared me. I had trouble sleeping at night. God hovered over and we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in creation, the triune one God Creating. And then God says, What's the first element of creation? Our staff gives me a hard time because I I really put emphasis on lights. I love, don't y'all love our stained glass? And over the last couple of years, we've we've been able to light up our campus at night. It looks pretty. It's also great for security. I just love lights. Some of you know the older you get, the dimmer things get. Uh, But I just love light. I love the fact that it's the first element of creation. It says that God created. Uh, light. He brought into the, what was dark and formless and void. He, he created light. And then it says, he, I love this, because this is, this is something for us to learn. It's not just a, a marvel of creation. It says that he called, God is intimately involved in his creation. It matters. We have a, a personal God. It's not some distant force that we can ever get to know. We have a personal God. And God says that he called the light time, he called the light day. And he called the, uh, he called the darkness night. So we have day and we have evening and that's a clue for us uh, that there's a certain way that God wants us to live. He wants us, unless you have a particular job, okay, that necessitates otherwise, but he wants us to work and play in the day, and he wants us to rest at night. Don't be, don't be too literal uh, with that. Some of Genesis early in chapters 1, 2, and 3, I always get in trouble for saying this. Some of it's history. It's just straight up literal fact, and some of it's poetry. But God, don't get too literal with this, but God says, hey, in the daytime, I want you to work, and I want you to play, and at night, I want you to rest. So let me just stop and ask you, is there separation in your life? When God created, we we get that, but he separates. He separates because for you to be whole and healthy, you need to separate things. And you need to know when you're working and you're playing and you need to know when you're resting. Uh, Do you have the opportunity? uh, Do you take the opportunity to rest? Do you care for the body that God, when we look at Adam, we see that God gives us a body life. Do you care for your body? Do you recharge your body at night? In Genesis 2, 2, uh, there's a a part of the creation that, has mystified people through the years. In Genesis 2.2, it says that God, he, he created, and then he rested. And that's always a question, like, you know, does Adam have a belly button? And He didn't, by the way, have a belly button. That's, I, I don't even, that's like, yeah. But anyway, did, did, why did God rest? It wasn't because he was fatigued, but God was creating something he would point to uh, called the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is uh, still in need today. The Sabbath is God's way of saying that you and I, that we need to take one day out of every single week and do nothing. And when we do nothing, on those days when I do nothing, I am reminded that everything is not on my shoulders. It's a time for me to play and be creative uh, like a child, it's a time for me to ignore messages and to push aside worry. It's a time to eat and to be uh, to, to feast. It's a time to play. It's a time to do nothing that points to productivity and just rest. There's a Sabbath rest. Can I ask you? Do you get a Sabbath rest? Do you get a Sabbath rest? Sometimes I feel uh, bad and I, I actually feel mad when I see one of our staff up here on Friday because that's their day off. And sometimes I I, I get sad because I realize I was the one who called them up here. Uh, to do something but so if you have a bad boss like me just tell them just push them back tell them you're uh, getting a sabbath rest but look don't work for anybody if they don't give you a sabbath rest god gives you a green light to make sure that one day a week that you are taking rest so are you taking care of your body let me ask you this question this is the best way i found to ask it if uh, you gave a friend of yours your car and you let them borrow your car and they treated your car like you treat your body would you be happy If you borrowed your car to a friend and they treated your car like you treat your body, would you be happy with them? And some of us treat our bodies like a rental car with unlimited mileage that we'll never see again. And God desires, and here's the thing, there are religions, there's isms and schisms which separate body and soul or deny one or the other. But in Christianity, from old to new, we see a union of the two. Uh, Spiritual rest in my life helps me with physical rest. Working out and eating right helps me in the spiritual dimension of life. I can't be the only one that has found this to be true through trial and error, through strength uh, and weakness. But God gives us this, and he desires for us to care for it. There's a passage uh, that Paul would address in 1 Corinthians 6. It's a great passage to study, maybe to bring up in your small group this week. But in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, he gives us a few things. He says a few things about our bodies. He says that the, the body is for the Lord. Now they had a saying he says the body is for the lord and the lord is for the body what's he doing there in the the the, the church the people of Corinth got a lot wrong about their bodies they were given their bodies cheaply to other people and Paul is saying give your body not cheaply to anybody and everybody but give your body to the Lord there was a saying then that food is for the stomach and stomach is for the food and it was getting a lot of them in trouble Paul would later say that their God is their appetite it's their stomach it's just whatever they want that's not a good strategy for living it, it's just not a good strategy for living. My daughter watched the movie Elvis this uh, this summer, and I watched it on a long plane all the way over to plane ride all, all the way over to Johannesburg, and we were uh, messaging each other about the life of Elvis. I just didn't teach my daughter much about Elvis, but there's you know uh, his God became his stomach, his appetite. Just let me just get whatever uh, I want. It's not a good strategy for living. And Paul is saying your bodies matter. Your bodies are holy. Your body's really doing, and look, can I just apologize to women in the room for a, a, a terrible culture in some churches uh, that have taught that your body is bad, that has body shamed you, or, you know, this uh, purity culture, purity's a good thing, but this purity culture that has that uh, messed up many, many people, that sent many people to counseling. I just want to say that, that uh, I'm sorry that that has happened, and that's not God's way. Uh, God would tell us in First Thessalonians 4, to possess your body and your vessel in sanctification and honor. Your body uh, is holy. In fact, the the third thing that it would say here is that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The first two is 1 Corinthians 6, that's 13 and 14. Then uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit is 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Now, people go to Lowe's, Home Depot, and Ace Hardware, and those places are always busy. They're always busy because people are seeking to repair and upgrade and beautify their homes no one is going in those places buying tools and equipment to destroy their homes no one is but why do we live that way why do we if we possess the body the home of the holy spirit if god dwells in us Why do we have so many things in our lives that are destructive to the temple that he's given us? Do you care for the body that you gave us, that God gave you? That's part of the legacy of Adam. The third thing is it's bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6 20. The price is Jesus came. God himself, Emmanuel. We'll celebrate this at Christmas. God came, Emmanuel. God came in human flesh. He had an earthly tent, a dwelling, and he paid the price for our sins. He took it on. We were bought with a price. And what's the next verse say therefore glorify God in your body Uh, beautify it upgrade it restore it take care of it because it matters the second core dimension of Adam's humanity beyond body life is work life in Genesis 2 15 it says this the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it work it and take care of it work there some of us think that Eden, the garden, is this retirement village. Like we picture Palm Springs or Boca Raton. It's just, you know, old people wearing shorts and sandals with black socks, playing shuffleboard and things like that. It's just, it's just a retirement village, right? Everything's nice and easy. But do you know that God is a worker? Do you know that part of the legacy of God, of Adam, is that there's this man, Bara. there's a God who created the the subject is God, the object is Adam. He created Adam and he gave him a body life and he gave him a work life. And when he called Adam to work, he was saying, bear the image of God. Just as Chick-fil-A closes on Sunday, then some ways we know that that's God's restaurant, God's chicken, but that that reflects the the image of God. And so do you when you get a Sabbath rest. But hear me now, when you work, you represent the very image of God of God. A writer named Andy Crouch in this um, uh, realm of Genesis, he asked the question, what's the difference between a jungle and a garden? Well, think about it. A jungle is wild, but a garden has a gardener. So a garden has a planning and planting, and weeding, and watering, and all those things that even we talked about from Deuteronomy and Leviticus in another series of a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago. Like that's what a garden, a garden has a gardener, but a jungle is just wild. And the writer Andy Crouch would say, as he looked at the elements of creation, he says when God created it, he said it's good. And then he invites us to join him, to garden with him, to make it very good. So when you and I work, we're called to show up to work and to partner with God. Now, a Gallup poll suggests that two-thirds of American workers don't have job satisfaction. Two-thirds of American workers aren't doing a good job. They don't enjoy their job. So that means that probably there's a little bit of melancholy uh, around the room here. But you're called and and I'm called to show up. And look what it says in Colossians 3.23. I think you know this. Whatever you do. Whatever you do, there's a, that's, a, that's a wide bandwidth there. Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. In other words, d- work by design as God does. Don't work by default. If you're working by default, you're punching the clock. You ever know anybody that's punched the clock? That never ends well. You're just punching the clock. But the way that you live by design in your work and your vocational life is that you put your heart into it. You're not just punching the clock you're putting your heart into it. Now, leadership guru John Maxwell uh, talked about a survey from Rutgers University where the number, besides your gene pool, the number one predictor of your longevity in life is job satisfaction. You didn't see that coming, did you? The number, besides your genetic makeup, the number one predictor of longevity in life is job satisfaction. And some of you are thinking, oh, you're so miserable, you're going to die in a couple of weeks, right? Just because your work life. But listen, There's a jungle, and God is saying, we work with God. We partner with God. This is Adam's legacy. He had a body life. He had a work life. We partner with God. And so what was a jungle? We partner with God and help make it a garden. Susan is gone for the weekend. That means she's not down the hall with kids. Somebody is, I hope. And she won't be on the front row at 11 o'clock. She's gone. And I was thinking this weekend while she was gone and I was kind of holding things down, there's really not much to hold down anymore. But I remember when she used to go out of town when the kids were little, there was a lot to hold down. I would, like, count just to see if I had them all, and sometimes they'd have spend-the-night company. But I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of a clean person, but I just can't do it. I can't do it. Men don't multitask well. And Susan, man, she would go out of town. She'd come back in town, and just she would just, I mean, just in a matter of minutes, the house would just start looking good and smelling good and feeling good and there's just a peace and a magneticism to our home and there's just a gift that she has and a gift that many of you have and uh is it is it offensive to say that many women have i don't want to get in trouble here but uh, susan's got it let's just say that and i mean i i I appreciate it because a jungle she would transform a, a a jungle into a garden and she would design it and she would work it and she would see and she just brings it together in such a beautiful, beautiful way. And that's a picture of our work life. It's a picture of what you can bring into chaos. You can bring created order. Uh, so let me just say this. There's an interesting passage where uh, I love this. It says that uh, God gave Adam a task. This is part of working. He said, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild Uh, animals but uh, uh, just that first part we're introducing the woman here next uh back again but um this is interesting in hebrew like in our day we say well naming is just labeling and we've made jokes about that and such Uh, you know you name you label whatever but in hebrew in the hebrew world uh, it was different it wasn't just labeling it was about observing and articulating it was about discerning and studying so you may say today hey Uh, preacher I don't have a work life yet I'm just a student we'll probably have a bunch of college students at the at the next service listen work heartily be a student heartily as unto the Lord some of you work and are in school and can I just say if you're a student don't cheat work with integrity Uh, put your heart into it observe and analyze and discern and study and don't get caught up in a performance-based culture Uh, that is by the way crushing our young people today the highest suicide rates are in Ivy League schools study as unto the Lord. Don't study uh, to perform and compete with other people. Study as unto the Lord. Work as unto the Lord. Some of you will say, hey, I've retired. I don't work anymore. Let me just lean on you a little bit and say there's no word for retirement in the Bible. Uh, So unless you are dead, you are not done. You may no longer receive a paycheck. I don't know when my day is ever going to come. But I rejoice in some of you uh, who are, are able to retire. Retire early. That can be a good thing. But unless you're dead, you're not done. Volunteer, serve, mentor, pray, encourage, be involved. Give back into your community, into your church. Look for ways that you can do this because God has never gave us a word for retire. It's part of him. It's part of the legacy of Adam, a body life that we care for, but also a work life that we cultivate. How can you, in your study, in your retirement, in your work life, how can you bring a garden out of a jungle? When we, Andy Crouch talks about this, when we bring, uh, we take a good thing that God made and, 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 and we live and work in such a way that people say, this is very good, Uh eggs. Uh, are good eggs benedict eggs benedict are great grapes are good wine in moderation is is a good thing so we we do things in our work and we bring glory uh, to God the third way for, third core dimension of Adam's legacy of life his life and our life is a relational life uh, this week I saw this um, <clears throat> video of this couple At their wedding day, Uh, they had been dating for 15 years. Uh, Take a look at it. God designed when he said it's good it's good it's good It was all good it's all good it's all good good. but he created man and he said it is not it's not good for man to be alone I'm going to say this because I want to honor all the single people in the house because we should because being single can be a gift from God being single can be a good thing I said it every week when we did this series called drive through love man don't think that some other person completes you uh, the, the, this verse is not about marriage entirely, but it involved a marriage. Okay, but we all need relationships that honor the Lord. You know this from Genesis. It says this: The Lord God said, "It is good for the man. Is, is good for the man not, not to." I'm sorry. Yeah. Just sometimes you just got to stop, get a hold of yourself. Like I said, Susan's been out of town. It's not good for the man to be alone. Uh, I will make a helper suitable for him. This is a gift. This is a gift that God gives to us, a helper that's suitable. I bet you've never had this happen, talking about the difference between design and default. Design and default. I bet you've never had a friend who's building a house and they're like a third of the way through And you you ask them, hey, what kind of house are y'all building? I bet you've never, you're like, hey, are you building a Cape Cod? Are you building a colonial? Are you building a mid-century modern? Are you you building a ranch style, a Spanish Mediterranean? You know, what what type of house are you building? I bet you've never had that friend say, oh, you know, we don't don't really know yet. They would never say that because everybody who's building a house, they know what style of house they're building. They know the plan. They know the budget that will be over time and, uh, you know, Uh, under schedule it'll mess up but they, they got a plan right and no one ever says oh we don't know yet but I can't tell you how many people I meet they're on down the road in marriage and they've had no plan and the 127th Psalm said unless the Lord builds the house those who labor labor in vain you need a plan for all your relationships and you really need a plan on this relationship called marriage In Genesis 2, 23, when Adam gets a first look at Eve, he gets poetic. Men are that way. I've seen grown men cry at their wedding when they do the first look. It's a pathetic spectacle. But no, for real, this is what love and romance does to us. Now, she's not going to get that anymore in her life, but she gets it early on. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woe man, for she was taken out of man this is not a less than it's an equal to trust me we don't have time to unpack that but the bible is way taken out of context in some of these some of these passages but this is a beautiful thing and and we see here that adam has a relation he's a a body life he has a work life he has a relational life and then he has a spiritual life um In Genesis 3, 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Why did they hide? Because they had sinned. And by the way, sin, when you sin against God, it affects your relationships. It affects your relational life. What did Adam do? The first thing that Adam did is he threw his wife under the bus. When God said, where are you? He threw her under the bus even Jimmy Buffett in the great hymn of Margaritaville had it had it right some people say that there's a woman to blame but I know it's my own fault (laughs) Adam blamed a woman and sin does that to us when we sin against God it affects our relationships and so they were naked and unashamed which was a great thing that's a really good thing but then they sinned and that's what sin did for them the legacy of Adam is sin and this gets weighty but it's a legacy that he wrought to our world as Lauren and the team whoops as Lauren and the team began to come up as we think about the legacy of Adam about a body life and about a work life and a relational life and a spiritual life um let me back up too because we got a minute notice it says that he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day walking is the simplest oldest and most common activity of humankind um Friends walk. When you walk with somebody, you don't have to have any money. You don't have to have any education. You don't have to have any equipment. You just need to go. And friends walk recreationally. Lovers walk hand in hand. I love the image of a little toddler I, I miss these days. When a little toddler will hold up its hand for me to grab and walk with him. Amos 3.3 says, can two people walk together without agreeing? The beautiful thing about walking is when you're walking with someone, you're walking in the same direction. And here it says, Adam, one who was dirt, who was nothing, who got life breathed into him, and the gift of creation was walking with God. There's an obscure character in the Bible uh, called Enoch. It says, Enoch walked with God. If we did a sermon series on Enoch, or sermon on Enoch, that'd be it you'd love that wouldn't you that's it Enoch walk with God but I don't know of a better legacy than that to say that someone walked with God but sin when they hid from God and blamed and ran well that's our story and here's what Paul would say I'll get there therefore just as sin entered the world through one man anybody have a problem with that anybody have a problem with that I got a problem with that and death through sin anybody got a problem with that Every war, every disease, every violence, every oppression, every injustice, uh, every racial problem, every uh, harm, every twisted, truncated thing in this world as a result of sin. And Paul is saying it's one man's sin. And that was one of the things that kept the great C.S. Lewis from the faith. But he writes about it so poetically and so beautifully. And Paul is basically saying here, Adam is a representative. What Adam chose, you would choose the activity the sin that adam that he did you and i would do how adam acted that's how we would act and so we learn of a second adam and his name is jesus would you stand with me and in the second adam here's what we see paul would say in romans 5 for if by the trespasses of the one man death reigned through that one man How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. Here we go. So also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteousness. A long time ago, I was having a fraternity bull session with a guy at Florida State. He was talking about, man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to kick Adam's tail. And I'm like, no, you're not. When you get to heaven, you're going to be so glad you got there. And I'm not sure you're going to get there. But uh, you are, you, you, you're going to be so glad you got there. Because sin is in you and sin is in me what he chose we choose all the time and aren't you glad we have a savior and so the legacy of adam the body life the work life the relational life the spiritual life there was beauty and order and creation but there was brokenness and it affected every part of him and sin affects every one of us and every part of us and so today i want to pray for us and thank god that we have a second adam in jesus christ let's pray Father, thanks for the word and thanks for this sketch. It's a brief one, it's an overview. There's so much more contours and dimensions to this life, this first human. But we thank you for some things that we can learn today. Lord, I pray that it would point to and probe to deeper things in us that we would want to bring to you. Working with all of our hearts, caring for the temple that you've given us because we've been bought with a price living in oneness and unity with other people and walking with you. In Jesus we pray, amen. The team is going to lead us as we sing and we've got a few minutes. I want us to give this time uh, to God. And I want us to, to to sing together at a minimum, but I'd love for us to pray. And we're going to be down front. I would invite you today to pray. I really believe that there's something, a special about this time. I was talking to my men's group on Friday morning. The more we say no to God in the moment, the easier saying no gets. So if God has prompted you today to to be prayed for, if there's a spiritual decision, or if you need direction in your life, if you want to thank God for something, or whatever the need may be, this altar is open, and we're going to be down front for you. Uh, Don't waste this moment. Give us the opportunity, the honor to pray for you. Let's let God work in this place before we go in these few minutes.